I want to read this story, a very familiar story, in Luke 16, verse 19, and uh, bring you the message tonight. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. Think of that. Here he fared sumptuously every day. Uh... You know, everybody has bad days, don't they? But this says this fellow fared sumptuously every day. And then the beggar. This is a real story. This is not a parable. This really happened. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus. He gives us his name, which is laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. I think Brother Hickox is telling uh, that uh, that you can take a, you can let a dog lick if you have a, a sore or something. If you, if you have a dog lick that sore, it'll get better. Well, it says here, the dogs came and licked his sores. So. Uh, the dogs had pity on him. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. Seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus. He may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. He said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Uh, I was reading a message a preacher preached on, on hell, and, and he was describing torments. And he said the meaning of that word is it is the most extreme agony and pain that one could ever know. And yet many times we read that and we kind of read over it and don't think a lot about it. Torments. You know, they used to talk about people going to torment. I remember a man we tried to win to God and he died in his sleep one night. As far as I know, he died lost. And that was one of the hardest funerals I ever tried to conduct. People were passing out. And uh, his mother screamed and said, If he's in torment, I cannot live. As far as I know, he's in torment. The most extreme agony and pain that one could ever imagine. 
Hell is awful. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Word of God, and I thank you, Lord, for another privilege to preach. Lord, awaken me tonight and awaken this congregation to the reality of hell. Give us the burden, O God, that we ought to have for a lost and dying world, for relatives that are lost, for loved ones and neighbors and friends. Lord, they're going to die and go to hell unless somebody cares, unless someone witnesses to them and tries to win them to Christ. Lord, we who know the way, we who know the truth, what a responsibility we have. God, renew our vision, renew our burden tonight and stir us one more time this side of eternity. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to bring a message on the thought, things in hell we need at Maranatha Baptist Church. There are some things that happen after this rich man went to hell that uh, we need to happen, uh, of course, now, before that would happen. And I don't want to go, I'm not going to hell, thank God for that, but I certainly wouldn't want to go to hell to learn the things that God wants me to learn. It certainly didn't do the rich man any good after he got to hell. But we need to learn them uh, in, uh, in this life. First of all, there, the rich man, there was a consciousness in hell. He was conscious. The idea that, uh, that hell is an unconscious state is foreign to the Word of God. And yet you have all kind of strange doctrine about, about hell. That, uh, uh, that uh, when you die, you dis- of course the Seventh-day Adventist church, they believe that, uh, and they are a cult, by the way, they are not a Christian church. Uh, but, uh, and I'm sure there are fine people in that, in that uh, denomination, religion, whatever it is, but they're just wrong scripturally. And, but they believe when you go to hell that you burn up, you, you're consumed immediately, and that's the end of it. The Bible does not teach that. This man did not burn up in hell. This man is fully conscious in hell. He has all of his senses. He can see, he can talk, he can hear, he can feel, he has all the senses. He has consciousness in hell. And uh, the Bible certainly teaches that. He lifts up his eyes in torments. Now as we think of that thought, there needs to be a consciousness in the church. There needs to be a renewed vision, a renewed burden among God's people. That's what we need. Now, Turn with me, if you will, please, and we'll come back here in a little bit, to Romans chapter 13. The book of Romans uh, chapter uh, number 13. And verse 11. Notice what it says. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in writing and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Then I want to turn on over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 and verse number 14. That's page 1254 in Ephesians 5. 
Wherefore he saith, Awake thy that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeem in the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now here these uh, verses are encouraging us and challenging us to wake up. You know, I think spiritually the church is pretty much asleep. Uh, that as far as a burden for a lost world, I don't see that. It's certainly less than it was 10 years ago. It's less than it was 20 years ago. It's less than it was 25 years ago. I don't see the concern and the burden for lost and dying souls. You know how people are one to Christ? They're one, one at a time. One by one, they're brought to Christ. They're brought to hear the preaching. When I was pastoring in Maiden, we'd probably have an average of 50 visitors uh, a Sunday. And when you have that many, many of them will be lost. And there were times when we'd have 10, 15 people saved in one service. Not just one time, but many times. I baptized 30-some people on different occasions. Uh, people that come to Christ. And, but you know how they were brought to Christ? They were brought to Christ one by one. This member would bring somebody. Another member would bring somebody. And someone else would bring somebody. I don't see that today. I don't see that. I don't see people involved and with a consciousness and a burden for souls and a desire to bring people to Christ. What are we doing? fact of the matter is that if you did a survey in the average church and asked the average member, how many people did you invite to church this week? How many people did you talk to about Jesus Christ this week? You would be hard put in most churches to find anybody that talked to anybody or invited anybody to come to church. And then we wonder why people don't walk down the aisles. We wonder why people aren't saved because we don't have the consciousness. But you know in hell there's a consciousness. There is a burden. There is a desire. And there's a consciousness of the reality of getting people to Christ. Now the rich man, sad to say, he didn't realize it until it was too late. He didn't realize that he's already in hell. And then it was too late. And you know even as believers, when we, get, we go to be with the Lord, I think there will be a realization of how little we really accomplish for God and how little we really done. And, and a lot of our time, a lot of our energy, and a lot of our effort is spent on things that's really not going to matter at all. If we sat down, if we just kept a record of, of the week and, and of each day and put down what, what happened at, at uh, whenever, whatever time you start today, and what happened at 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, and right on down to you retired at night? What did I do? This was my schedule. I, I got up at 6 o'clock or whatever, and I did this and, and so forth, and I went to work, and, and, uh, and, and then I came home and uh, a schedule. What did I do? And most of our energy and most of our effort won't mean nothing in eternity. Consciousness. Sometimes I think about that and I seem like I'm busy and uh, can't get it all done and, 
and just running here and there and doing this and doing that. And, and then sometimes you evaluate it and say, how important is this in eternal, as far as eternal things? How, what's this going to mean? And before you know it, you look at your life and your life spent. And what do you have to show for it? Unconscious. The church is unconscious. That's their problem. Matthew 13, 25, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, he says, But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When did the devil sow the tares? While men slept. While people slept, the tares were sowed. And we're asleep. Mark 13, he warns us, verse 36 and 37, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. What I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. The Lord says, don't be asleep, don't be asleep when the Lord comes. And it's an unconscious situation. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, and verse uh, 5 through 8, he says, uh, You're all the children of light and the children of the day. We're not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. Let us who are of the day be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. We have light. We have, we have what this world needs. And we, we talk about society, and we talk about evil, and we talk about wickedness and sin in high places. And yet, uh, Jesus says, you're the soul of the earth, you're the light of the world. If the world's in a mess, it's their fault. Right. Huh. You know, we're the only salt and the light that the world has. And if anything's going to be changed, it has to be changed through God's people. He says, we're the day. In Jonah, the story of Jonah there, the Bible said in verse 5, Jonah was gone down on the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. What a sad state there is. Jonah, who should have been over at Nineveh preaching, instead of that, he's asleep. And it's a picture, it's a picture of where we're at. He was unconscious of the storm. He was unconscious of his backslidden condition. And he was unconscious of the need of a lost and dying world. In fact, I don't think Jonah cared about men. In fact, I, I think Jonah was hoping God would destroy him. <laughs> you know, they were, they were the enemies of God's people. And Lord, go ahead and kill them. I don't want them saved. <laughs> and yet, uh, uh, we have a responsibility to the whole world. Revelation 3.17 says, uh, The church of Laodicea was rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And there's where we're at uh, spiritually. Uh, that Laodicean attitude and that Laodicean uh, period, rich, increased with goods and have need of nothing and sound asleep. Sacrifice. You know, David over there, when the plague was sent and, and he came to the threshing floor there and and uh, the fellow says, take it, you know, let's stop the plague. And David says, you know, 
you know, shall I offer unto the Lord, shall I give unto the Lord that which costs me nothing? The average church member today, if it costs anything, they're not going to do nothing. If it involves any kind of sacrifice, if it's convenient, there's folks in this church and every church, if it's convenient, they'll come to church. But if it isn't, they won't make any sacrifice to come. Amen. What kind of price are we willing to pay? What kind of sacrifice? What are we willing to do to get lost people to God? I was talking to Mrs. Webb and, you know, her taking Harry in and, and uh, I told her, I said, if you hadn't taken him in, he may never have been saved. And the willingness to sacrifice, and they set up with him night and day, and, and uh, to lose sleep and whatever, you know, to show kindness, first of all, and then to try to win your brother to God. I think, you know, if, if we realize how awful hell is, I think, we'd, you know, it ought to motivate us and stir us to make whatever sacrifice it involves to win that person to Jesus, Amen. to pay whatever price. Hell is so awful that it ought to create a burden in their heart. There needs to be a consciousness. Second of all, there needs to be conviction. Conviction. You know, in hell, the rich man realized he lift up his eyes in torments Everything came into focus while he was faring sumptuously, while the food was literally falling off his table, and uh, uh, the, the Lazarus had been glad to have what the, uh, the dogs ate up from under the table, the crumbs. And, but he is so blinded by success, he's so blinded by materialism, he's so blinded by pleasure that he cannot see reality. And we live in a world of fantasy tonight. And the average, the average person that goes to church, they don't want to hear a Bible message. They want to be entertained. Make me feel good. Entertain me. I want to have a good time. I want to be entertained. People don't want to hear about hell. Yet Jesus Christ, as I mentioned this morning, he preached more about hell than any other subject. He preached more about hell than any other Bible character in the Bible. Jesus Christ. He knew what hell was like. And uh, here, this rich man in hell, everything comes into focus and he realizes how unimportant all these things of the world are. And they mean nothing. We need conviction. In Psalm 32, and uh, we have uh, David there and Psalm 32, verse, the first five verses says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thy forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Well, he acknowledges his sin. That's, that's what you have to do. Old-time conviction. You know, that's what we need. I talked about that this morning, that Holy Ghost conviction that came on me when I was a lost sinner. 
You know, that's what I want to see today. That conviction that I experienced, that, that, that uh, fear, uh, fear of God and fear of hell. I talked to a lady one time trying to get her, her in the family in church. And uh, uh, she asked me, said, do you preach on hell, fire, brimstone? I said, I do. She said, well, I don't want to go to a church where the, where the preacher scares the children. She said, preaching on hell scares children. I don't want them to hear messages like that. Well, I'll tell you something. It's messages like that that brought me to God. It was that fear of hell that brought me to Jesus. I was afraid I was going to hell. And I got saved. And people need to hear that. And I realize, I understand that it's not just fear of judgment. It's more involved in salvation than that. It must be more understanding, but it was that that brought me under conviction. I believe that's why Jesus died. If there was no hell to go to, why would he have come? Why would he have died? We need conviction. We need not only conviction for souls to be saved, but we need conviction uh, in other areas of our life as well. Isaiah says, woe is me when he saw the Lord. Then thirdly, there needs to be crying. Verse 24, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his feet in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Now he cried out. He cries out there to the Lord. And, uh, but you know, he cried too late, didn't he? He cried too late, and he cried to the wrong person. Abraham couldn't, have, couldn't save him anyway. Abraham couldn't get him out of there. God said, Abraham said, there's a gulf fixed, and nobody can cross it. He couldn't get him out. And uh, he waited too late. You know, there needs to be tears. There needs to be crying. In the book of Psalms, uh, chapter number 18 and uh, verse number 6. Notice what it says. In my distress, well, let me read verse 5. The sorrows, uh, well, let me read verse 4. Let <laughs> us read it all, maybe. Verse 4. The sorrows of death can pass me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell can pass me about. The snares of death prevented me. Notice what it says. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry came before him even into his ears. Isn't that wonderful? In my distress, he said, the sorrows of hell can pass me. Death was on my heels. But in my distress, I called upon the Lord and the Lord heard me. And he done that to me too, thank God, when I was a lost sinner. And he's heard me many times since. But I want you to look at verse 41 of this same chapter. He says, they cried. He's talking about his enemies here. They cried, but there was none to save them, even unto the Lord. But he answered them not. Now, first of all, he said, I cried in my distress, and God heard me. But he said, they cried to the Lord, and the Lord didn't hear them. Now, this idea that you can cry out to God any time you want to is just not found in the Bible. 
I believe there a person can wait too late. The rich man waited too late. Anybody, anybody that waits after they're dead, they've waited too late. And the idea that you can, you can go to some kind of so-called purgatory and someone can pray you out is just a lie. First of all, the Bible, nowhere in the Word of God does it teach such a thing as purgatory. And certainly it doesn't teach anywhere that you could, you could get prayed out. That's an invention of man. It's not contained in the Scripture. So there needs to be crying, and there needs to be crying while there's time. Now in Psalm 126, listen to what he says here in verse 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. What a promise. You know, tears, the ministry of tears. I remember hearing her, uh, I believe I heard John Rice, I heard him one time in person talking about this, or I read one of his messages. And uh, he, said, uh, he said when he first started preaching, said he'd, he'd, he'd cry a lot. He'd, he'd preach and he'd break down and cry, and he'd preach a little more and he'd break down and cry. And he said, I kind of felt embarrassed, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, Lord, take these tears away. I mean, you know, it embarrasses me crying so much. And he says, you know something? God heard my prayer. And he said, God took my tears away, but when the tears left, all the power was gone. And said, then I went to the Lord and said, oh, God, give me my tears back. I don't care what people think about me. Give me my tears back. And I heard him in person. And he'd preach and cry and preach and cry. I didn't agree with everything John Rice, you know, in, in every, every aspect, but I'll tell you one thing. He had a burden for souls. He wept over souls and he had a real burden in his heart. Whatever you might think about him in some other areas, I'll tell you one thing, he had a real burden for a lost and dying world. And that's what we need today. We need, we need compassion and we need tears and we need a brokenness and we're, we don't have that. And I must confess that many times I don't have it and I need it. I need that compassion and that brokenness and that concern when I talk to people. And we need to pray God may give it to us. And I think every great preacher that I've known anything about that's really done much for God has had that compassion and that brokenness. And you know, sometimes God's had to, God's had to break their heart sometimes to bring it about. Uh, I think of Harold Siler. I think of Lee Robinson and others. Some have had, some have had physical ailments and had, uh, you know, uh, uh, an affliction in their body. I think of Jack Hudson, Brother Jerry, and family there, no, no, belonged to the church there, and uh, who had the terrible arthritis condition. And sometimes, you, you know, the Lord has to break you before you can be broken for others, before you can have that compassion and that burden and that, that, that real concern for lost souls. What's it going to take? What's it going to take in our life to, to get us to the place God can use us and we're broken? And we have the cry, the tears, and the concern for souls. Then let me move on. There needs to be confession. Verse 25, But Abraham said, Son, remember, thy in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thy art tormented. You know, the table's turned, isn't it? In, in, in life, the rich man is the one that had the good things and Lazarus had the evil things. 
but in, uh, after death, Lazarus has the good things and the rich man has the bad things. The table is turned. As it's been said, the only hell the Christian will ever know is this world. And the only heaven the ungodly, the unsaved will ever know is this world. And we need to acknowledge our wrong. In Acts 19, verse 18, And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Why don't you turn to the book of Nehemiah, if you would, please. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 9. Nehemiah, chapter 9. That's page 550. Nehemiah's a little harder to find in some of the books, so it's just left of Job there. Nehemiah, chapter 9. Listen what happens to this returning remnant. In verse 1, Now on the twenty and fourth day of this month the children of Israel were assembled with fasting, with sackcloths, and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves uh, from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day. And another fourth part, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Now think of that. I've jotted down in the margin here. I don't know where, uh, I, maybe I heard somebody give this outline. There's humility in verse 1. There's confession in verse 2. And there's worship in verse 3. But the Bible says they stood, confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And uh, then they stood a fourth part of the day uh, and read the Word of God, and another fourth part, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Now I believe public sin that is known by the church is to be confessed publicly. Private sin, I don't believe, needs to be confessed publicly, but I do believe public sin, uh, you know, is, is to be confessed uh, publicly. And here... They confessed a fourth part of the day and they worshiped. But before they could worship, they read the Word of God, they confessed, and then they worshiped. Sometimes we want to worship. You know, probably, probably one of the, sometimes maybe we ought to, first thing we ought to have was an altar call. <laughs> it's coming to church. Okay, we're going to give the altar call first. <laughs> and then we're going to worship. <laughs> Well, I hope we come with things right, you know. Ought to have an altar to the house. And, uh, you know, get everything, get everything made right before we get to church. Then we can worship, can we? We can worship. Confession. The Bible says uh, in uh, about John the Baptist's ministry there, Matthew and Mark, that uh, they were baptized of John and Jordan confessing their sins. James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another. And pray one for another that you may be healed. You know, I think we'd have more healing if there's more confession, don't you? If it's connected with sin, and always connected with, with uh, personal sin, but if there's personal sin involved, then I don't think we have any right to, to ask for healing until the sins confess. And if we confess the sin, then God would bring the healing. So there needs to be confession, and then finally, there needs to be a concern. And we've touched on this, but in verse 27 and 28, then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that I will send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, 
he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Think of that. He said, I've got five brothers coming to the same hell. If you can't, get, if you can't help me, if you can't bring me a drop of water. Uh, you know, Sandy was talking this morning. You know, she drinks water like crazy. And she said, I just knew you was going to say, now, Sandy, she, she didn't need a gallon <laughs> or a tub or whatever. But, uh, but uh, he said, if I cannot get any water, if I can't get out, if I can't get any relief, then I've got five brothers. And I want you to send Lazarus to warn them about hell. You know what he says? They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Now, you know what he's saying? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, and then you have the prophets. He said they have the written word of God. Let them hear them. And I want to say something. If people reject that, waiting on something else, they'll die without God because God's not going to send something else. He's not going to come down in person. He's not going to appear in the sky. He's just not going to... He could, but he's not going to do that. God, the Bible says, he has chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I remember years ago I was preaching on that, on that about the way of salvation and so forth and uh, had a good service and had some people saved, best I remember. And uh, a fellow came to me out of service. He said, I appreciate the message, but I don't agree with one thing you said. I said, what's that? He said, you said that uh, people need the Word of God and they need, they, need a, you know, they need a preacher. They need someone to give them the Word of God in order to be saved. I said, I still believe that. And I gave, quoted him Romans 10, 13, and 14. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And, I, and also Corinthians there, 1 Corinthians, where he says, chapter 1, God has chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. He said God could save people any way he wants to. I said that's true, God could, but God has chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's the method God has chosen to do. God could come down. He could sit an angel. He could do whatever he's sovereign. He could do whatever he chooses to do. But God's not going to do that. He's chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And you can't be saved without faith, right? Where do you get faith? Faith, we know the Bible said in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, not by seeing. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm not, my hope of heaven is not based on anything I've seen. I've had people tell me, I know I'm saved because I've seen this and that and the other. Or I felt this. My hope of heaven is not based on something I felt. It is not based on something I saw. It's based on something I heard. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. Now, once you get saved, it does feel good. <laughs> and it affects the other, the other senses. But, uh, but I'm saved by grace through faith, right? And faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. I know this preacher. And uh, he went to Bible college. He said, I knew I was saved because I was laying on the couch one, one day. 
and Jesus Christ came and stood at the foot of my couch. I believe it was a couch instead of a bed. Anyway, he stood at the foot there, and I saw him. Someone asked him, how do you know he's Jesus? He said, well, he had a long white robe on, had long hair, a little just like the picture. And said, I knew I was saved. I was going to Bible college. I was going to be a preacher. He said, I went to Bible college too long that I realized I'd never even been saved, much less called to preach. And I got saved. <laughs> but he thought he was saved because he thought he saw Jesus Christ. You're not saved by what you see. You're saved by, according to the Bible, by hearing. And God has chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. They have the word of God. That's what he's saying. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And listen to what Jesus says. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And is that not true? Jesus rose from the dead, and people still don't believe. Jesus said, If they will not accept the written word of God, they wouldn't accept anything. If someone came, you know, came and said, I just come from the cemetery and I come to warn you about hell, people wouldn't believe him. Right. I guarantee you they wouldn't believe him. Right. I know it because that's what Jesus said. And he certainly knows it better than any of us. But I know it because that's just the way people are. That's the way I am. But we have listened. God couldn't have done any. He, he put it down in writing. <laughs> and you know, that's what they say now. Don't, if someone tells you something, you get it in writing. Because people tell you anything, boy, I believe that. They'll promise you anything. But God put it in writing. There needs to be a concern. He was concerned about his brothers. The Bible said, where there's no vision, people perish in Proverbs 29 and verse 18. How concerned are we? How conscious are we? How much compassion do we have? Do we really believe in hell? If I, if I ask for hands tonight, how many of you believe this is literal? You believe Luke 16 is true? You believe it's literal? You believe, believe there is a hell? Probably every hand lift up and say, I believe every word of the preacher. I believe it's the word of God. But does it affect our life? What, what kind of effect does it have upon us? Do we really have that kind of concern. And there's somebody, probably several people, they probably nobody in the world cares. Probably nobody in the world cares but you. Really. I mean, really cares as far as their eternal destiny. There's probably people you know that probably nobody, nobody in the whole world praying for them but you. And you may not be praying. We may not, may put, should be, but we, not you, we may not uh, be praying for him. And if we're not praying for him, there may not be nobody praying for him. I believe prayer makes a difference. And uh, we need to pray. I believe it makes a difference when you go visit people, someone's been praying for him. 
I'm convinced Harry Landon had never been saved if somebody hadn't prayed. I believe there's some people really praying. Really meant business. And uh, we need to pray, then we need to put legs on our prayers. And uh, not only to pray for them, that's not enough. Just to pray, that's, that's certainly ain't much use to go if you don't pray. But we're to pray for them. And then we ought to go see them. Tell them about the Lord. Let's bow our heads, please.